0: Amen. Indeed, let's pray. Lord God, as we meet together here this morning, as we dive into your word, Lord, we could do nothing else but call upon your name. Lord, speak to us today. Speak to us through your word. Speak to us through your spirit. Lord, minister to us in a way that only you can, Lord Jesus. We will know that we have been in your presence this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I made a slight error in my announcements this morning. I need to correct because I was told it is very important. Any donations to be applied to 2018 have to be in the office by noon tomorrow. Not any time tomorrow. Noon tomorrow. And that is a clarification. Well, here we are on the last Sunday of the year. Sunday between Christmas and New Year's. It's a great opportunity and a chance. I know lots of people will spend time looking back over the past year and celebrating things that have happened and looking at what the year has been like. At the same time, we look forward we look ahead to the year to come, to 2019, and we wonder what will that entail. As you may have noticed, I'm not Pastor Rick. Those of you visiting with us, I'm Pastor Mark. I'm the new guy on staff, and it is a pleasure and a privilege to uh, to bring God's word to you this morning. Pastor Rick is enjoying a much-needed vacation after a busy se- Christmas season. But if you've been with us over the past few Sundays, you'll know that Pastor Rick has been unpacking the first chapter of the book of John. He's been reminding us of who Jesus is. Do you remember the sermons? Jesus is the Word. He's Logos. Jesus is the Lord of creation. Jesus is our Savior. And all of that is important because, because of who Jesus is, everything He says, everything He does, everything he puts in place, overrules anything we might think in our own human understanding is somehow important. Humanism cannot save us. Only Jesus can save us. Now, I'm assuming, I'm making an assumption here that most of you here today have probably made that decision to receive The salvation that Jesus offers. Now, if you're here today and you haven't done that yet, don't worry. There'll be something in the service for you as well. You're going to get to see a little bit of what the Christian life is like. But I'm assuming most of you have a relationship with God, with Jesus today. Jesus is your Savior, but, and you probably know this, salvation is just the beginning. Jesus came as our Savior. Yes, that's what we just celebrated at Christmas time. The birth of our Savior. But that's just the beginning of our new life in Christ as we receive salvation from God. You see, now, now we are called to live as new creatures, as a new creation, to walk in a new way of life in a way that brings honor and glory to God. But have you ever noticed how hard life can be? I mean, I've been a Christian most of my life. And while I can look back over my, well, more and more years as I start to count them, but as I look back over those years, I can see many times where God has blessed me, God has led me and God has saved me from doing some, making some bad mistakes. God has guided me through this life and I'm so thankful for all He's done for me. But I can't, as I look back over my life, I can't say it's been easy. It just wouldn't, it wouldn't be the truth. See, life has challenges, doesn't it? Every day gotta get up in the morning and go to work challenges relationship challenges marriage challenges challenges with my kids challenges with co-workers not to mention things like sickness and and death none of that went away just because i was a christian just because i followed christ just because i was trying to walk with christ Life didn't suddenly just get easy. And it's not just that, that there are struggles in life. How do I put this? It's, it's, it's more than that. It's I struggle or still struggle in how I react to the struggles of life. Does that make sense? I mean, you'd think that as a Christian and as a pastor, you'd think I'd figure this out by now. I would know how to respond to every single trial and thing that comes my way in the most godly manner possible. But I don't always, because life is hard. I'm still human. My human nature still flares up in me sometimes. I mean, I remember not too long ago, I, I had an argument with one of my kids. I don't know if any of you have ever had an argument with one of your kids, I have four kids, so I won't tell you which one it was, so you, you can guess, but I, I don't even remember what it was about exactly. I think I was disappointed with something they'd done, and I said some things, and I was angry, and they were then angry because I was angry, and oh, it just wasn't good. And I remember afterwards, often when I, when things are hard like that, I, I retreat to my room. I just need some time, just me and God, and God. And I remember crying out to God, why is it so hard? Why can't it just be easy? And I don't mean just why did I have an argument with one of my kids. I mean, why was it so hard for me to respond with with the grace I should have responded with instead of the anger that came out? Why wasn't that my first, my first go-to, just to be gracious and loving and, you know, disciplined in, in love? Why is it so hard for me to respond the way God wants me to? Why isn't living the Christian life easier? Have you ever felt that way? Or is it just me? I don't know. I think if you're honest with yourself, you know that life, even life with Christ, is still hard. Relationships are still hard. There's still challenges in our marriages. Just look around. We don't have to look outside the church to see marriages that are in trouble. We know of Christian marriages that are struggling. We struggle with relationships with our kids. Life is hard. Cancer is hard. Sickness is hard. Illness is hard. Accidents are hard. Death is hard. Many of you have unsaved loved ones or friends. That's hard. And responding to all these hard things in our life in a godly way is particularly hard. I mean, have you ever felt maybe just for a moment like giving up? Like maybe it's just it's just not worth it. Maybe just maybe just for a day. Just could we? Just, could I just take a day off and not have to deal with all this hard stuff in a in a godly way? Can I? Can I just? I don't know. I've often felt that way. I mean, God always brings me back and says, no, it's not right. But, and I think if, if you look at your own life and you're honest with yourself, there have been those times in your life when you've asked yourself, is it worth it to live for Jesus? Well, I found the best thing to do whenever I start questioning, and now that I've Depressed all of you on this last Sunday <laughs> of the year. Happy New Year. <laughs> the best thing to do to dig us, ourselves out of that is to look at God's Word. Look at what God says about this. And I want to look at Hebrews with you today. Hebrews chapter 12. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me. Hebrews chapter 12. We're just going to look at the first three verses, 1, 2, and 3. And as you're turning there, I want you to understand, remember that that Hebrews was written to believers, Jewish believers, Jews who had converted to Christianity. But here's the thing. They were facing persecution. And in fact, it looked like it was going to get worse before it got better. And the receivers of this letter were, were thinking about giving up. They're thinking maybe we should revert back to Judaism because this Christianity thing, following Jesus, was getting a little too difficult. The author of Hebrews, we're not sure who that is. Some think it was Paul. There's many other guesses, but it doesn't say. We don't really know. But ultimately, we know the author was the Holy Spirit. So we can trust it. But the author wrote to remind them of their faith, and encourage them to stand strong in their faith. So this is what the word of God says in Hebrews 12 verses 1 to 3. And I'm reading from the New International version. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great crowd of sorry, cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that even though it was written so long ago, it is alive and living and just as relevant today as it was When pen was put to paper. Lord, thank you for this passage in Hebrews. Thank you for what you're going to teach us through it. And as we look at it, Lord, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would speak to us from your word, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as we look at this passage together, the first thing you need to know is those first two verses, verses one and two, it's actually one long run-on sentence. Your Bible Your translation has probably broken it into two or three sentences, but in the original it was one long sentence. It might have read something like this. Here's a translation that keeps it in one sentence Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now the reason I mention that is this this is one big idea. But I also understand why English translations have broken it down because there's a lot in there. And we're going to break it down even more as we get into the passage and make sure we understand exactly what is being said. It starts with the word, therefore. And we know that anytime we see the word therefore in Scripture, we need to look back. What is it referring to, right? Because therefore means since or because or consequently. What came before Hebrews chapter 12? Well, Hebrews chapter 11. And if you know Hebrews chapter 11, you know it talks about all the heroes of the faith Old Testament saints who walked by faith. And there's a lot of them. Abel. Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses' parents, Moses himself, the people of God, the Israelites, Rahab, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. It's a big list of people who lived by faith, but notice what it says in verse 39 of chapter 11. Here it says that all these were commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. They were faithful even though they never saw what they were faithful for. So that first verse says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, you'll notice throughout this passage the author uses the words we and us and our. He's speaking to himself and including himself in the community of believers. And he paints this picture of a cloud. You notice I stumbled at when I was reading and said crowd. It's because I think I memorized it wrong as a kid. But the, but the word cloud there is very, very important. It's, it's a picture of being surrounded by a... Have you ever been in a cloud? You ever been on a, like on a high mountain top where it's just all foggy around you? That, that's cloud. Or you've been on an airplane and you're playing up through the clouds. There's this ever presence of this, this cloud all around you. It's a very surreal experience if you've never experienced it. And that's what the author is referring to this, this enveloping cloud surrounding them. He's, he's also painting the picture of maybe like a, a stadium where you have a, a, a track and there's this stands all around, and all around are these witnesses. But they're not spectators. They're not there to watch the race. They're there as inspiring examples, witnesses. Witnesses of faith and endurance. And the Hebrews were being called to look to them, to look back at this cloud of witnesses for encouragement, Well, the verse continues. It says, "Let us throw off everything that hinders, lighten the load." He says, "It's a picture of an athlete removing unnecessary clothing for the race." Right? If I was going to go, if if someone wanted to race me right now, I would not be dressed like this. I'd take off my jacket. I'd have some more comfortable shoes on, probably some shorts. You don't want to run a race. With burdens on you. Nothing that will hinder you. And and even good things can hinder the race, right? Nothing wrong with this suit jacket, I hope. But it's not what I want to wear for a race. Not everything that is good or okay is beneficial to us. Remember what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter ten, verses twenty-three. He says, you say, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. So the Hebrews are being encouraged to throw off anything, even maybe some good things in their life that would hinder them in their walk with God. But not just throw off everything that hinders, but he adds, and the sin that entangles they will throw off everything that would hinder, but also, and especially and specifically, sin. Because a good thing in our life may hinder our progress, may kind of slow us down a little bit, but sin, sin trips you up. That word entangles refers to something that, that clings so closely that it impedes movement. So they're to get rid of sin. Get rid of any sin in their life because sin will not just hinder their Christian walk, it will trip it up. The author continues and says, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Of course, he's been setting up this race imagery all along. He's likening their Christian walk to a race. A race marked out for them. There's a There's a finish line. But notice he says, with perseverance. This isn't a 100-meter dash. This isn't done in under 10 seconds. It's a marathon. It's a long-distance race. It's going to take a long time. So they needed endurance to run the race. Required sustained effort. They were not to give up or quit, but to stick with it. You ever notice when someone quits a race? You ever seen that happen? You know, one of those big races, and someone they just they just drop out. Now it's it's probably a rare occasion. Maybe it does happen, but usually what happens is the person kind of slows down, stops running, and goes off to the side. And kind of walks back to wherever they need to go. I've never seen someone just running, 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 and then just collapse because they were done. That might happen occasionally, but usually people quit the race before they're done. You know why? Because they convinced themselves they couldn't finish. They weren't done yet, but they looked ahead, they looked at how far it was still to go, and they, they felt how they were feeling. And they're like, you know what? I might as well just quit now because I'm not going to be able to make it. We need to persevere. Can't quit. And notice, too, he says the race is marked out for them. They didn't get to choose their race, they didn't get to say, well, you know, I'd like to go this way. No, the race is marked out. For the Hebrews here, it says. They didn't get to decide. They could see. They could see where it went. It was marked clearly. But they didn't get to choose. Don't worry, we're getting there. We're on verse 2 now. Verse 2 says, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. See, they could see the course, but they could see more than the course. They could see Jesus. And in the context of this race analogy, Jesus was the rabbit. You know what the rabbit is? Jesus was the pace setter. You ever, any of you ever run cross country? Or maybe your kids did in elementary school? No, no one? Oh man, all my kids ran cross country races. It was always the first thing every year in September. And we, we always encouraged our kids to go run cross-country because it was just a way to kind of get them to dive into what was going on at school and make friends and get some exercise, get back in shape for whatever sports they were going to do that year, and they all ran cross-country. And if, if your kids ever ran cross-country in the Durham region, you know that it ended with a race out at Lakeridge Ski Resort. Okay, anyone ever been to Lakeridge Ski Resort? I should have brought pictures maybe. But... Here's the thing about the race. I remember, I'll never forget my first time taking my oldest son, John, out to Lake Cruz Ski Resort for this race. I look at the start line, and fr- the start line is at the bottom of the bunny hill, right? You know, the, the easy hill where you learn to ski or where, you know, if you don't really know what you're doing, that's where I ski. Um, you ski on this gentle, well, it's not that gentle, but this hill, and it comes down, and this, the start line's at the bottom of the hill, so the first thing you have to do is run up this big hill. And as if that's not daunting enough, at the, at the crest of the hill, it, it, it kind of st- crests over like this and, and then it disappears. You have no idea where you go once you get to the top of that hill. And I'm thinking to myself, man, that's not even fair you got these little kids. I mean, I think John started running cross-country when he was at four, grade four, was it? I can't, grade, grade three or four. They got to run up this big hill, and then where do they even go? And then the announcer gets on, and they're announcing the first race, and they say to the kids, Now, you see at the top of the hill, you see that individual standing up there? That's your rabbit. He's going to run in front of you, once you get to the top of the hill, through the course, and you're going to follow the rabbit so you know where to go. And I I felt a lot better now about my son running to the top of the hill into nothingness. But that's what Jesus is in the race. He's gone before us. He went before the Hebrew people. And they could look to him and see how to run the race and where to go. There's another thing, if if you get out of Durham board elementary school racing, in professional racing they often have a pace setter. You know what a pace setter's job is in a race? Well, it's kind of obvious, he sets the pace. But now in, in rare occasions he wins the race, but he's not supposed to. In fact, usually he's paid good money to get out there and set a world record pace so that all the other runners don't have to think about their pace, because it's a long race, right? This is middle to long distance running, maybe a marathon. And they don't want to just finish the race. They don't wanna, there are people who want to win the race. They don't want to just win the race, but they want to break a record. So they hire a pace setter to come out and run the race. And he starts off, and he's got his watch, and he's, got his, he's trained, he knows exactly what his pace needs to be based on the distance of the race, how fast he needs to set out. And then if the pack follows him, if those leaders stick with that pace setter, they have a really good chance of setting a world record. Well, Hebrews is telling us that Jesus is the pace setter. If they want to run a good race, they want to run keeping their eyes fixed on Jesus. Now, this is a little different kind of race. This isn't actually a running race. This is a race of faith. And it says here that Jesus is the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Now, that's really important because you need faith to run the race. And Jesus is the pioneer, the author, the creator, the instigator, the initiator of faith. So all the faith they needed would come from Jesus. But not only that, it says He is the perfecter or the finisher or the completer of faith. Jesus is both the source of their faith and the builder of continued faith to its completion. So you got to understand this. Jesus instigates faith. He modeled the perfect life of faith. He accomplished finally on the cross what is needed for believers to have faith and He brings faith to its intended conclusion or goal. Now some of you might be looking at your translations saying, my translation says He's the author and perfecter of our faith. And some of your translations just say faith. They don't use the word our. Now the, just so there's no confusion here, the word our does not does not exist in the original text. It's been added. But it's been added for a good reason because I don't want you to think that this is saying that Jesus is the author and perfecter of all faiths. This is not some excuse for universalism or the idea that all faiths lead to God because Jesus created them all. That's not what I'm saying. It's not what the text is saying. This word faith is very specific to the saving faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord that the Hebrews had. That's why many English translations included the word our, to clarify. It's not talking about faith in that stool to hold me up if I sit on it. It's not talking about faith in Muhammad or someone else. It's talking about faith in Jesus Christ, our faith, he says. Remember, we said earlier, he uses the words we and our because he's talking about a community of believers So, English translators have added the word our to clarify that. Now, it continues, of course, this passage. It says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, he being Jesus, of course. We're still talking about Jesus. Scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What did Jesus do? And why did he do what he did? Well, He endured the cross. But it says He endured it for the joy set before Him. What was that joy? It was the the joy of, of knowing He was going to provide salvation for the world. And it was also the joy of knowing He was going to sit at the right hand of God. Because of that joy, He was able to endure both the the physical suffering of the cross and the mental anguish of the cross. And He uses the word endured the cross. Just as the Hebrews were being called to persevere in their race, Jesus has already modeled that endurance and perseverance. Perseverance. And it says he scorned the shame of the cross. You see, the cross wasn't just a physical challenge for Jesus or for anyone. It was a, there was a lot of shame involved in the crucifixion. And it says here that Jesus scorned that shame. He he saw it as having little to no value compared to the joy of. He was expecting. You see, in the end, Jesus sat down in a position of power and authority at the right hand of God, and He saw the suffering and shame of the crucifixion as nothing compared to that joy that He was to experience. Well, we finish up with verse 3, it says, Consider Him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The author is telling the Hebrews, consider Jesus. Think about Jesus. Think about all that He endured. If He endured all that, certainly you can endure the trials God is bringing your way. You see, He didn't want the Hebrews to give up. They were facing all kinds of persecution, tempting them to quit the faith. But they're being reminded that their trials are nothing compared to what Christ endured. So they were to look beyond their trials and persecution to the promised rewards of God. Their endurance in the race was to be fueled by Christ's example. And they were not to grow weary and lose heart. Well, that's what the Word of God says about this faith race, about this life that we live. But what about you? How can you apply these principles of this, the principles of this passage to your life, to your faith race, as you walk through this life, trying to live the life God has called you to as a Christian? How do you not give up? Well, I'd like to suggest that first of all, you need to accept that it isn't supposed to be easy. It wasn't easy for Jesus. Why would it be easy for us? I mean, that's why they use the analogy of a race. Have you ever seen a race? Yeah, no, you're all asleep. Anyone ever seen a race? <laughs> Races are hard. I mean, when you, you see people at the end of the race, they're sweating and they're breathing heavy. That's why I don't run. <laughs> and, and people are, after the race, they're sore for days afterwards. They're walking around. oh yeah, I had a race on the weekend. Not to mention all the training that went into getting ready for that race. It's hard work. A race. And our life is a race. Your life in Christ is a race, and it's not going to be easy. But there are things you can do. There are things you can do to help it. Get rid of the things in your life that will hinder your walk with Jesus. That's what it says, right? It says, throw off everything that will hinder you, especially sin. Get rid of anything that doesn't bring you closer to Jesus, even if it's something good. There are lots of things out there that are permissible, but they don't draw us closer to God. So get rid of them. You don't need them. They're going to hinder your race. And then stop sinning. I mean, I know it's kind of a novel thing to say in church, but and I think we all know it, but Sin creates distance between us and Jesus, doesn't it? So stop it. I mean, as a believer, you have a choice to make every time you are tempted to sin. You can follow your human nature and choose sin and create distance between you and Jesus. Or you can follow the Holy Spirit that work that lives in you and choose to sin less. We'll never be sinless, but we will sin less as we listen to the Holy Spirit. And that will draw us closer to God. So get rid of the things in your life that would hinder your race. Lighten your load. And stop sinning. And then, as you run the race of faith, Ask yourself this, is, is your focus on the obstacles in front of you, or is it on Jesus? You see, as we look down life, even as maybe you're looking down what, at what 2019 has in store for you, what do you see? Do you see all the obstacles? Do you see all the things that you're like, oh, that's going to be hard, and oh, I've got to… Do you see all the hard things? Or do you see Jesus? You see, if we fix our eyes on Jesus, Jesus has run the race already. He knows how to walk through this life, He did it. He did it perfectly. He was born as a baby, He lived as part of a family, He grew into adulthood. And He died, just like every one of us will. And yet He did it without sin. He did it without ever giving in to temptation. And yet we know He was tempted in all the same ways that we are tempted. So look to Jesus to know how to run the race. He knows how to run the race. He also knows what's waiting for us at the end of the race. The joy that awaits us. He also knows that your trials, your difficulties are nothing compared to God's promised rich rewards. Also remember, your trials are nothing compared to what Christ endured. And your endurance in this life can be fueled by Christ's example. And then remember, you need faith to run the faith race. Jesus invented faith. Jesus perfects your faith. He is the source and perfecter of all the faith you need to run the race. So why would you look to anyone else? I mean, especially ourselves. Why? Why would you look to yourself to, no, I think I can run this on my own. You can't increase your own faith. It's impossible. The only faith you can ever have is whatever faith God gives you through Jesus Christ. So look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. And He will give you every little bit of faith you need to run this race. See, the bottom line is this. Running the faith race requires an intense focus on Jesus. The minute you take your eyes off Jesus, you're in trouble. If you want to improve your race, if you want to improve the way you live the Christian life, Get closer to Jesus. Get closer to the pace setter. If you want to break a world record, you've got to be close to the pace setter in a race. If you don't want to get lost in the forest of Lake Ridge Ski Resort, you stay close to the rabbit. Don't let him out of your sight or you'll get lost. And if you want to have a successful race, With Jesus, in Christ, living the life that brings honor and glory to God, you need to get close to Jesus and stay close to Him. Spend more time with Him. Get to know Him better. Listen to Him. Study Him. Copy Him. Then run like Him. Fix your eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith. The faith that comes from him, the faith that he perfects in us. Fix your eyes on Jesus as you head into this new year. Don't let anything take your eyes off of Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank You, Lord, for this race that You have put us on, this race that You have determined for us, this life that we live. It's the life that You have created for us, Lord. But it's also, Lord, the life that You equip us for through faith, through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, through faith in God And Lord, we thank you that we don't run the race alone. We don't run it under our own power. We don't face the difficulties and trials of life on our own, but we can look to Jesus and he'll show us how to run the race. So we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for the encouragement it is to us. We thank you for the example of Jesus Christ. And we ask, Lord Jesus, that you would help us run the race well to its completion, knowing the reward we have in you, Lord Jesus, when it's all over. Amen. Running the faith race requires an intense focus on Jesus. Can you imagine what life would be like for each and every one of us if we could all truly fix our eyes on Jesus at all times? And not just on the big stuff. I know we're good at bringing the big stuff to God, but all the little things too. Every little detail of our lives. That's what it takes to make it through this hard life we live. Jesus. That's all it is. Now maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus yet. You haven't even started this race that I've been talking about. Because you're on your own race with the world already. You haven't received Jesus as your Savior and begun the race of the Christian life. I'd encourage you not to leave here today without talking to someone about that. If you don't have anyone you're with to talk to, come talk to me after the service. I'll be up at the front. I mean, yes, the Christian life is hard, but I can't imagine it any other way. I can't imagine what life would be like without Christ. And the reward at the end of the race, eternity with Jesus, is worth every single trial along the way. So receive Jesus today if you haven't already, won't you? And for those of you already on the race, maybe you're near the beginning, you're in the middle, you're approaching the end, I don't know where you're at. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus so we will never grow weary and lose heart.